Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Pandora. Whenever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow, you know, uh, subscribe, leave topic suggestions, feedback. I always like to post pictures of organisms there, and I like to give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So go ahead and check it out. And if you haven't listened to the last episode of Let's Talk Micro, go ahead and do so. I had an interview with Dr. Jingmei Su, who's a stem cell specialist at Whale Medical College at Cornell University in New York. It was a great interview about HIV and a patient that had HIV and leukemia and received a stem cell transplant. And now the patient seems to have, have been cured from HIV and leukemia. So we talk about you know, HIV, about treatment options for leukemia, about the CCR5 gene, you know, something that most of us might not be aware of. But in patients and on people that do not have this gene, the virus cannot attach. So go ahead and check it out. It is episode 42. So this week's episode is a collaboration between two podcasts. So this time, instead of having a guest, I am actually a guest on another microbiology podcast, which is called The Micro Moment with the Microbigals. This podcast was ranked in the top three microbiology podcasts, and it is hosted by Tess and John. And they are both microbiologists. Tess has a PhD, and John has a master's. So they both work in this field, and they host this podcast, and they talk about microbes, you know, in, every, in our daily lives. They like to talk about the history of microbes. And they also talk about the microbe moment, which they say it's a unique moment where microbes change each person's lives for the better. So go ahead and check out their podcast. You know, they are on, on, on all podcast platforms. And it is called the microbe moment with the microbigals. So I am featuring their episode this week. So it's going to be on their podcast and it's going to be on my podcast too. So in this episode, I get interviewed. I talk about my experiences as a medical laboratory scientist, as a teacher, as a supervisor, you know, what I do in my day-to-day when I'm working in the lab, when I'm teaching, what I did as a supervisor, which is a position that I don't hold anymore. And of course, I talk about my micro moment. So let's go ahead and listen to the interview. Hello, Microbial Nation, and welcome to another episode of the Micro Moment. I'm John, and I'm here with a special guest today, Louis Plaza. He is the medical laboratory scientist at Advanced Health. He is also the adjunct laboratory instructor at the University of Central Florida, and he is also the host of Let's Talk Microbe, a podcast where clinical microbiology explained in simple terms, which started in May 2021, and it is released weekly. Hello, Lewis, and thank you for coming on to the show. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, definitely, you know, thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to hear your story. 
So first off, tell us a little about yourself. What made you want to get involved with microbiology? Well, I always liked science growing up and I kind of just, I touched a little bit on when I started my podcast on the intro. So I was in the military for like eight years total, but when I was getting around year five, so this church was near and I just wanted a job that I could do on the outside world, the civilian world. You know, a lot of this is one issue that people in the military sometimes encounter that, you know, they have an occupation and once they get out, they're discharged, retire, they they cannot perform that occupation outside in the civilian world. So I knew, I mean, I definitely wanted to go to school. You know, at that point in time, I didn't have my bachelor's or anything. So I, I wanted to go to school. But at the same time, getting out, you know, I wanted to have a, a job so I could, you know, have my apartment and stuff like that. So I started looking around and then I saw they had like all these schools, you know, like x-ray technician, pharmacy technician. And then I saw the laboratory technician, medical laboratory technician program. So they had this program. So we, you could basically sign up for it. And then while you were going to school, that was your occupation in the military. So that was actually a great time. I mean, you're in the military, you're serving, and then that's your job. You're getting paid to go to school. So at that point in time, once I started taking the classes for the MLT, then once I started taking micro, I mean, I do like all the areas, but definitely... I don't know, just everything made, made sense to me. It's just the way that I felt really comfortable. I could learn, you know, the terms, everything from the media, the organisms. And at the same time, you know, it was so great how sometimes, you know, as a, as a shy person that maybe, you know, you, you work more of a backstage. So that was a great attractive for that use. You know, you're focused on your test. And maybe your patients might be, you know, you have your samples and maybe you have to deal with a doctor about results, but that's about it. There's not a lot of customer, you know, service unless you're like in phlebotomy or something. So after I completed that, you know, I started working and I, I work at a small facility, but then I knew that my goal was to work in a large lab. So then I decided to look for programs where I could do my bachelor's on medical laboratory sciences. And that's what I did. I went ahead and I finished my time. So after my eight years. I went to the University of Central Florida and I got my bachelor's in medical laboratory sciences. That was really cool. I didn't know that you could uh, work in the military after picking classes. So you got to get hands-on experience with that. That's really cool. I know for me, getting my associate's degree, you know, I taken anatomy. I was like, okay, this is cool, but there's things I don't get. And then taking microbiology. What really struck me was these things are so small, but so complex and they can do such extraordinary things. Uh, yes, yes, definitely. I mean, that's also another thing as I was learning more and, you know, just, you know, the way microbes are and you, you know, you, you have them in your skin, you know, sometimes, you know, you see them in, in food, you know, like it's always fun when you're with the students and you're doing, as a student, maybe you do like a slide and put some yogurt in it and you see bacteria. So that's pretty cool. And it's also, um, you know, how amazing, like how sometimes, you know, we have bacteria that are organisms that are normal flora for us, or they might be normal for animals, you know, like my favorite bacteria, which is pasturella, you know, normal flora on cats, dogs, but then, you know, your pet or you get a bite and then it's, you know, it's pathogenic for us. So it's, it's just amazing how something, you know, we have them living there sometimes in our bodies, they don't do anything, but then they gain access to another site. And that's when they cause trouble. Right. Especially like uh, some of the uh, s skin microbes on humans like staph. Once they get into a different area, they can uh, cause a little bit of havoc. Yes, definitely. I mean, a lot of times, you know, a lot of, a lot of us, us, you know, we are colonized, you know, by staph aureus. 
you know, at some point in time, even if you're not in this field, you have heard about staph aureus and about, you know, infections and it just, you know, it's there in our skin and then we get a cut and then it gets in and then, you know, it, it causes, it can cause, you know, a wide variety of diseases. So it's just, it's very serious once it gets to a place where it shouldn't be. And another thing about micro that I love, is just about how it's, it's a mystery. And, you know, you get to, you know, you get all these tools, you know, all this. So you have to solve the mystery and find out what the organism is. So it's very hands-on. It's not black and white. You know, there's like a lot of gray involved in it because you have to use your judgment. You have to know, is this organism pathogenic in this source or is it normal flora? Just because something is growing on media doesn't mean that it's pathogenic. You know, like I mentioned, we have bacteria in our skin. So, you know, you do urine cultures, you do cultures from an area of the skin, you're going to get organisms that are just commensal to the area. So you need to know that. Right. It's just a... Another form of detective work, really. You have to figure out what's going on, and you got to use the skills you have and the tools you have to figure it out. Exactly. So you said that you you got your bachelor's. Did you have to do like an internship afterwards? And if so, what was that like? Um, yes. And just real quick for the audience. So when I mentioned, yeah, so what I got in the military, the medical laboratory technician, that's an associate's degree. So it's a two-year degree. So, and then medical laboratory sciences, there are many programs out there. Uh, in my case, I did what is called like a two and two. You get, you know, your first two years, you're taking like prerequisites, you know, organic chemistry, uh, microbiology, biology, a little bit of math. So you start taking those and those actually I was able to take while I was in the military still. So then the second, the last two years are one year of theory followed by the fourth year, which is an internship. And that was, yeah, that's actually, it's one semester that we did, basically a month in each of the major areas. So it, it was great. I mean, me being already an MLT, I already knew a little bit of, you know, I had some of the knowledge and I had experience working, but then it was, this program was more comprehensive. Plus I did my internship at a large hospital. So I had to see a wide variety of tests in all the areas, very comprehensive blood bank, chemistry, hematology, and then, of course, you know, in my internship, the one that I wanted the most was my last rotation. So I had to wait all the way. We started in August and I had to wait until November to finally get to micro. And once I got there, oh, my goodness, it was just amazing. Like, you know, before I had done some micro at a smaller facility, but here, you know, it's like so many plates, so many types of auger, so many organisms. You know, from anaerobes, from the ones that I hadn't seen before. It was just, it, it was so great. It was, for me, that was like the best month in the whole rotation. Yeah, I know, like, um, I, I believe I told you, I, I worked in a hospital for a year in the microbiology department. And, you know, when you're getting your bachelor's, yeah, you use some agar plates. But once you get into the hospital, you see a bunch of plates that you've never come across before. Not to mention a bunch of bugs that you never come across. And it was just, it was overwhelming at first, but it was really awesome just to see the diversity going in there. Uh, yes, definitely. And when you see one thing that basically in school, and I like to tell students this, it's just we in school, we cover, you know, it used to be one semester of, of micro. So you get, you get your classic organisms, you have your Staph aureus, your Enterococcus, your E. coli, and then you see E. coli, classic E. coli you know, very nice, flat, lactose fermenter. And then when you get to clinicals, you're doing your rotations, you see there are like four other different morphologies of E. coli. 
you're like, you know, they show you a plate, it's a non-fermenter, it's mucoid, and you, they're like, what's this? And I'm like, <laughs> you think, well, it's not E. coli. Well, guess what it is. So it's definitely many, you know, you see all the different morphologies and also something about the rotation, you know, it was just, it was a little bit of scary at the same time because, you know, you're being evaluated. So you have to do well. I mean, as long as you come prepare, you know, you do, will do fine in it. But then again, sometimes, you know, you might have to deal, not everyone likes to teach, you know, even though it's a teaching hospital or maybe some people that just don't know how to teach or they don't, you know, they're, they could be amazing at their job. But when it comes to sitting down and watch someone slowly get something, they might not have the patience. So sometimes, you know, that's a little bit of a, of a challenge if you encounter someone that is teaching you at that point in time. Of course, you know, everyone's very respectful, very professional, but it makes you a little more nervous if, you know, if that person is just like, you know, watching you and maybe rushing you a little bit because, they, you know, they don't have the patience to sit there and make sure you slowly get it. But of course, as a student, you have to come prepare. And that's one of the things, I mean, it is a teaching hospital and someone, it's not like they just, you know, the teachers, they just sit there and they don't do anything else, but pay attention to you. I mean, they're, they're working their bench normally and they have to slow down to teach you. So it's, we also have to be understanding of that as we're going through the rotation. Right. And they're just trying to do their job and they're trying to, they're just trying to um, determine what the results are. Yes, exactly. And it's just it slows down. It's just, you know, they have to, what they would do in an eight hour day, they have to do it while stopping and explaining to someone what's going on, you know, have you look at the test, ask you questions. And so it, it definitely, you know, it, it slows them down too. Yeah. So you said you got your bachelor's. Did you go on to further your career afterwards or your education afterwards? Yeah, that has been, um, you know, at, at first, I think maybe my my intention was to just maybe be, you know, get maybe to like a supervisory position in the lab. I mean, I, I do love reading plates, but I think as, as I, as time goes by, I'm definitely, you know, getting in deeper into this and I realize, you know, I love it more and more. So last year I started going back to school and I'm getting my master's in micro. I think uh, one of my goals is to eventually teach microbiology. So I'm, I'm working on that. Hopefully. Maybe in a year and change, I will be done with it. Um, you know, just I'm working full time, so I take one class at a time. But you know, I'll get there. But yeah, that's 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 the main goal for me right now is just to to teach. But I'm always gonna have some sort of attachment to the lab. I mean, and as a even if you're especially if you're teaching, you need to stay current. So it's always good to maybe, you know, keeping like some sort of per dean job where you can go and still replace, you know, a lot of times protocols change, you know, we get new drugs. So you have to, you know, keep caring with all that stuff. And yes, you know, the textbooks, you know, they're updated, your guidelines are updated, but it's not the same as you see in it. And, you know, you get that, that visual, that hand memory. So it's definitely always very helpful to stay up with all the current instrumentation and technology. Right. Like. First off, uh, you know, it's great to hear that you really want to pass. It sounds like you want to pass your passion along to the next generation or next group of people, which I love to hear that. And also science is changing so quickly. Like I remember going to school and for bachelors and, you know, they say things like, oh, next generation sequencing. And then you go into the field and like, no, nah, this is just what it is now, you know, you've already passed like next generation sequencing. It's just current, you know, it's moving so fast. It is. And, 
you know, one, even in, I haven't been in this field for for that long. I mean, I've been on an MLS for it's going to be nine years in May, and then I had three years as an MLT, but maybe fully involved in micro about nine years, give or take. So definitely, even in my time, it has changed a lot. I mean, before it was just, you know, we use a very popular instrument, which is called the Vitec. And that was our main method of, of getting IDs on the organisms. I mean, it's still used for susceptibilities, but definitely there were, you know, basically you got to a point where you knew based on the cards, you know, all the organisms that you could get. So now with Malditov coming into the picture, we, we have all this ID. So it's even more information that we have to, you know, keep current on researching, you know, is this, is this organism, is this a false ID? Is it for real? So we're definitely seeing all these organisms coming in and, and, and the flow definitely changes as well with Molotov. I mean, you don't have to wait a day anymore to find out what your organism is. I mean, you can get it in 10 minutes. So that's definitely a plus. You know, you can give I mean, organisms that don't need susceptibilities. You know, you get that ID, you're done with them. Uh, it helps you rule out stuff. So it, with technology, you know, a lot, a lot of good things have come. I mean, at the same time, some bad things have come as well. I mean, you get the factor of, of the laziness mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, I think it's just, and I, I try to reinforce this in students, you know, it's just when you're doing this, you know, if, especially if you're reading cultures, you need to basically know what you are going to get before you actually get it. I mean, you look at your sample, you look at your organism, you do biochemicals, and you already have an idea of what you're going to get. But nowadays with Molotov, it's like, well, why do that if I'm going to get the answer? So you get that factor where people are just running them over and over again just to see if they get an ID. And that can be a little bit dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. But overall, it's it's all the changes are are definitely wonderful. And they at the end, they end up, you know, helping the patients out, you know, get their ID faster so they can get their treatment. So that's that's what it's all about. Right. So it's been a while. Vertec, yeah, you, you mentioned a card. I, I, I remember it as like uh, using it as antibiotics and susceptibility testing for bacteria. Am I correct? Yes. Vitec has both, it has cards for both IDs and susceptibilities. Okay. Yeah. And then Molditov, which I always wanted to use, I never got to, is pretty much you're just incinerating the back the microbe with a laser and it's measuring the proteins for identification inside the cell, right? Yes. So basically, you add a you add a a solution that has like a proton mm -hmm. to the organism, and then you fire the laser, and then you do like a it's a, it's a it's mass spec. Mm -hmm. So based on that, you know what the spectrum you you get, then it's compared to what's on the database, and that's how you get it. I mean, it, it works wonderful with pretty much a lot of the organisms. I mean, if your sample is very vinicoid, sometimes you know too dry or too tiny, you might have some issues. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but overall, you get some pretty good IDs with it. I mean, it just, it cannot differentiate when it gets sometimes, you know, between species like Acromobacter. That's a, a one that it will always give you two choices when you put Acromobacter on the Molotov. It will give you between um, salicylosidins and denitrificants. And then at that point in time, you have to do an ID. You know, it, it happens also with like Streptococcus dysgalactiae. So it gives you like a little discrimination between two sub two subspecies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but overall it's just it's it's pretty good. It just it, it works way better than I will say. I mean, Vitek is pretty solid too. I mean, unless you you set up the wrong 
car for the organism and then it gets a little haywire because it will give you an ID, but it's not the right one. And then to a lesser extent, the API, I mean, it works nice with the classic ones, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely Molly's up. It's, it's really good. But the, the downside is, you know, you need to have a, like a, a large volume facility because, you know, it's very expensive. So you need to justify that cost. So like a smaller hospital, is not going to have a Molly tough, you know, it's too expensive and maybe the volume is not going to justify it. Right. I remember seeing at one point, it was like three quarters of a million dollars or something like that. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. It's just so large facilities. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about a little bit about working in the laboratory hospital. What's the environment like there? Well, um, the environment, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's as far as we definitely, I mean, I work in a very large facility, so we get a lot of micro from other, from other places, other smaller hospitals, like sister hospitals. So we do, there's that interaction when we're trying to locate a sample, something hasn't gotten, or there's some sort of, you know, supplies are needed to be, you know, to be exchanged. You know, the hospital might need some, we might need some from them, depending. So that's mainly the interaction between hospitals as far as, and especially with the pandemic, a lot of with the supplies and stuff, who has what, um, and missing samples. As far as, you know, the people we are, as microbiologists, you know, they, they, I will say that, you know, in the lab, mostly like overall, we stay in touch with all the other areas a lot. And what I mean is, you know, for example, like blood bankers, technologies that do blood bank, it's like a small community and they stay by themselves, you know. I always like to joke that we only see them when there's like free, free food in the hospital or something. <laughs> like they're always in their area. So there's that interaction, but the environment, you know, it varies within shifts. It all depends. You know, a lot of times when I started and that this has changed a little bit, but when I started on first shift, you know, it was mostly like the older technologists, you know, they've been doing this for 20 plus years and then maybe one or two young ones out there. And then as you got to the shifts, you get, you know, maybe second shift or third shift, you have more younger people, you know, either like recent grads, you know, they want to make a little more money because they're getting that differential, you know, they're single, they have student loans, maybe they want to travel. So, so you, you see more that population, you see them towards the second and third shift. Um, but as far as everyone is pretty much, you know, there's a lot of teamwork because, you know, it's, the volume is high, so we all need to help each other. And it's, you know, it's like a normal, you know, everyone talks about their experience and just like everything, you know, we talk about what we do and then, you know, we share what we do outside of work, you know, let it be like traveling or a good movie or anything. That's one thing, you know, and as far as sometimes, you know, the mood and the way that the people act, uh, sometimes you see maybe people that work on, on third shift a lot of times, you know, they always say they don't like a lot of times they, they don't like bosses. So they're on third shift because, you know, they're, they're on supervised, you know, the manager comes in the morning, there's minimal interaction. So they like that. So it's, yeah, there's many differences. One thing that I learned, because I have actually worked all three shifts. So I always thought that maybe, you know, like me, my goal was, you know, when I got into my career, it's like, I want to read plates. I want to learn the organisms. I want to do that testing. And because of the size of the place, you know, it took a while to get all the training. So I always thought that everyone on the other shifts, because typically like plate reading is, is most hospitals is only done on first shift. Right. Yeah. Maybe a little bit on second and pretty much none on third. So I thought that everyone wanted to learn 
that maybe once given the chance, you know, they will jump at it. But that's not the case. You know, a lot of people on offshores, they don't, you know, they, they don't like reading plates. They don't want to. And you combine that with the fact that sometimes, you know, people that work maybe at night, they have family situations, you know, like they don't get enough sleep. So sometimes, you know, the mood might be different, maybe a little bit grumpy, but overall it's, it's really good people, you know, hardworking. Unfortunately, like in every workspace, you know, sometimes you do have some toxic ones, but that just happens pretty much in every workspace. I mean, so nothing unprofessional, but there's some like a level of toxicity. So if left unchecked, you know, it can tilt the, you know, the, the mood of everyone's there, every person in the shift. So that's something that, you know, we have to watch out for. Right. So I guess like as a lab supervisor, what are some responsibilities that they have? Well, as a lab supervisor, you can have, it all depends what your capacity as a super, you know, the supervisor you are. For example, you know, if you're in a very large facility, you can have shift supervisors. And then depending on, on which shift you are on, I mean, the main responsibilities are always, you know, scheduling, you do your hires, either, you know, your manager, but if your manager does the hiring, then they include you in the process so you can see the candidates and perform interviews. Um, you have to perform training, make sure that you you maximize the use of your staff and base it on what the needs of the shift are. So you make sure that everyone is trained properly. So if you're if you're a shift that like first shift that it, it focuses a lot on plate reading, making sure that you have texts that are trained, you know, reading urines, reading wounds, reading respiratory cultures. So it gets so big, you know, the flow that in large facilities, you know, you can have one area only doing hearing cultures, one doing respiratory. So you have to make sure that the technologies are trained so everyone can rotate properly, right? Because, you know, you have to factor out the fact that, you know, you can, there's sickness, um, you know, the well-deserved vacation time. So if you have, you know, once you're, if you only have one tech that, let's say, reach respiratory and then they go on vacation, then you as a supervisor have to step in. Because if not, you're, you know, you're in trouble. So you have to make sure that you have that balance. And of course, you know, you have to keep the staff competent. So every year you have to you know, do the annual competencies, making sure that everything on their training folder is up to date for inspection. Um, you review quality control paperwork. You know, you can also review test results, make sure that all the, all the maintenance checks of the shift were done. You know, temperature, if the incubators need to be clean, all that stuff, you know, you have all sorts of maintenance, you know, you have daily, you have weekly, you have monthly, quarterly. So you have to make sure that all that stuff, it's done at the proper time and everything is properly documented because of course, you know, you're going to get inspected at some point. So you have to make sure that all that it's in order. So those, those duties, you know, even if it's small, if you're in a small facility, you have to do pretty much all of those. If you're in a large facility where you're maybe like a shift supervisor, then it's mainly, you know, training, competencies and scheduling and hiring. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's about it. So you said you've been in microbiology for eight to nine years. What's the coolest thing that you've seen in the lab? Well, believe it or, or, or not, I mean, it is, I, I mean, I do seen like, um, you know, some part, I seen like fingers and you know, when they have done, you know, amputation, I'm of course, you know, for, from the point of view of the patient, you know, it is very sad. And, and you always, you know, in an ideal world, you wouldn't see any of this stuff, right? But you do see that, you know, it's a lab. And, but however, the coolest thing that I seen was when I was rotating, 
um, as part of the surgical lab, so they do all those stat testing for patients that are having a surgical procedure. Mm-hmm. I I got to see a, a heart surgery. Oh wow! So that was that was amazing. Like they let us get close enough. I mean, of course, you know, with all your PPE and properly all the procedures and stuff. But so we we managed to get close enough, and then you know you see the heart, you know, when it was stopped, and then once you know they put like a little potassium, and then it gets stopped, and then. Once they wash that, the heart starts beating again. So that was, that was amazing, but not as amazing as the fact that, and I guess, you know, as we get more proficient in our work, I mean, sometimes, you know, a lot of this stuff gets to be like more of a, like a second nature. So you don't think about it as much. Like, for example, like you were able to, let's say you're reading cultures or doing the testing and you can have a little bit of music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And it's not distracting because, you know, you know, you're proficient enough that you're paying attention on your job, but you have something on the background. So for me, it was so impressive that the doctor was performing the surgery and then he was talking to his coworkers. You know, I remember something along the lines are like, well, yeah, like uh, we're doing a barbecue this weekend. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> let's go. And after that, we'll walk the dogs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, just concentrate. You know, that's what I was thinking. You know, here you are talking about a barbecue and, and you're holding someone's heart. It's just like, so that was mind blowing for me. Like, just, oh my goodness, how, you know, how skilled and proficient, you know, th- these physicians, you know, are with their training that it's just, you know, they have this conversation. I mean, you see that on TV, that on the shows, you know, they're operating and they're talking about th- that stuff, but it was a little bit shocking to see it in real life, how you can do something so serious and at the same time be talking about walking your dogs and doing a barbecue. It is. It's really mind blowing. I I got to also sit in like it. It wasn't a heart surgery. I think it was like a laparoscopy. But yeah, it's just you've seen them perform all these, and then they're just talking very casual while doing it. And I I don't know about you, but I'm like in the corner holding my breath, you know, watching the screen as they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was that too. I mean, I was just standing there, and I mean, I got to be in in the room, and and I remember that it was like a little step into step stool of sorts that we you know we stepped in and we got so we could look down and see the heart beating so that was yeah it was very impressive and, and mind-blowing it was an amazing experience to get to know to, to witness that and that doesn't really i mean it doesn't have to do much with laboratory medicine i mean we do run the laps of the patients and but still you know it was something very cool to witness so I know you're also an adjunct laboratory instructor, and it seems like you do it because you like to pass your knowledge to the next group of people. So my question is, while instructing you know, students, do you instruct them in the laboratory, in the classroom, or both? Yes, yeah, so I, I do both. So yes, I'm definitely very, very passionate, and I do want to pass the knowledge. So that's one of the things that you know, led me to this. But yes, uh, it was a, before like pre-COVID, it was completely in person. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit challenging in the way, you know, it looked like about 30 students. So when you are looking at, you know, if you're doing gram stains and you're looking at every microscope, you know, the time goes by so quick. So at that point in time, you know, I had some volunteer technologies that they will come in and assist me. So that way, you know, we could focus more on the students and they will get more time. Mm-hmm. So that was, like I said, pre-COVID. Then with COVID, it was a little bit completely remote at the beginning. And then now it's 
it's split. So basically the class gets split at one point in time, it was split in groups of in three groups. And then nowadays it's just in two groups. So, but it definitely, I mean, microbiology is just, there's so much information that, I mean, yes, you can read theory online and possibly, you know, do well in your exams, but the lab portion, as far as looking at this plates, you know, a lot of times the pictures, they don't do justice. You know, it's not the same when you're looking at a plate crowded with organisms and, you know, get that feel for it, get the feel of the microscope. So that has been challenging for the students. You know, you, you can notice that you have to slow down the pace a little bit, you know, before you could go full steam ahead and, and do more work. And, but you have to slow down so they can start getting the basics again. And, you know, because if you're learning about gram stains online, yeah, you can get the theory down. But it's not the same that trial and error where you are, you know, you can make 10 slides and maybe, you know, not all 10, you know, you're going to stain the same, you know. So this is, it's a lot of hands-on. So that's one of the challenges of, uh, you know, online learning for the students. That has been like one of the challenges. Also that by splitting the groups, they probably get less information because, you know, you have to repeat, you know, you get instead of, let's say, getting 16 weeks. So each group gets eight weeks. So if they're and if they're not seeing it, like microbiology, it's a lot about repetition. So if they're not seeing it constantly, like I tell them, you know, you you know, you learn about gram sense, and then you come back two weeks later and you forgot half of what you learned because you haven't been exposed to it. So that makes it a little bit difficult. You know, hopefully one day we can get back to having that full size classroom, and that way we can push through all the material. Gramstein is a perfect example because, you know, textbooks, it's what, 30 seconds to a minute, crystal violet, wash, 30, 60 seconds with iodine, decolorize for five, and then uh, safranin for up to a minute. But, you know, you can say that, but that those five seconds of decolorizing, like, it can end up being too much or too little. And you either under decolorize or over decolorize the sample. And now it's not exactly what it's supposed to be. I mean, I have done that plenty of times. To... Exactly. Yeah. So just, it all depends, you know, maybe, you know, you can have a thicker smear, a thinner smear. So sometimes, you know, the result is not going to be the same. So yeah, you definitely need a lot of practice. And like you said, sometimes, you know, some laboratories might use a stronger decolorizer or, you know, it says, you know, like put decolorize for you know, like the three to five seconds, but sometimes, you know, maybe it works better if, if you hold the slide and add the drops or sometimes, you know, a technique that I use too is just, you know, you add the decolorizer and then just leave it with the slide, leave it on the slide for three to five seconds. So there's definitely, even with all those techniques, yeah, you know, I might get one perfect slide and then maybe another one that's not as great. So it's, it, it, it takes a lot of time. Like I like to tell students, you know, you don't, you don't become a microbiologist overnight. This is just constant repetition you know you do it day in day out until you get comfortable enough that just and you keep adding to that so definitely the most important thing is just to have that hands-on experience there, there's nothing like that i think that's an important thing to bestow on students too because I, I feel like at least in my education that was kind of lost it's something that's so invaluable once you get out into the real world like to have the physical skill instead of the uh, the theory behind it and the repetition, you know, you you know how to do it. You are proficient at it. Yes, and, and, and you can even see it that sometimes, you know, you can have bright student that, you know, that knows all the theory and then, you know, they ace their 
you know, top of their class, they ace their exams, you know, they ace their certification. And then once they get to the lab and they look at the plates, they're like, oh, what? It's like, what is this? Or, or when it comes to time to make that judgment, you know, it's like, do I mix this? Do I work? You know, what do I do with this plate? Is it, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's just, there's sometimes a lot of gray involved that you have to use your judgment and make some decisions, you know, based on what you have or something that you cannot be working a culture for seven or eight days, you know, that's not good for the patient. So we definitely have to try to get it out as soon as we can. And that comes with knowledge and experience. So it's, it's not the same. Even if you're, you know, 4.0 GPA and, you know, the best of the best, it's, you need to learn that hands-on and it's going to be, you, you're going to feel challenged when you get to the lab and you're looking at those plates or you're doing that test. And I see it a lot of students like that sometimes. So to end this little section, what advice would you give someone who would be interested in becoming a clinical lab scientist or a medical lab technician? Yeah. So if you are interested in this, I will say that definitely, well, one thing is one of the, of the challenges of this profession right now, I mean, there's a lot of demand and optimally it will be good to have more resources where we can have, when you go to a program, you have multiple classes running at the same time. I mean, unfortunately, there's not a lot of resources for that. So typically a program has about two classes going in. So you have your juniors, right? So they're just getting started. And then you have your seniors, we're doing the rotations and each group, depending on, on the facility might have maybe 30 students at the most. So basically every year, 30 people in that particular school get the chance to study for this. So my advice is, you know, if you, it's a great job, there's always going to be work for us. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we all get sick, you know, we have injuries, infections. So wherever you go, especially, you know, here in the States, you know, there's high demand everywhere. So you have that job security, but what I like to say, you know, the students is like, don't use it as a stepping stone. I mean, it's just try to, if you're doing this, work in it, you know, try different areas of the lab to see what you like, you know, not everyone likes micro, you know, a lot, a lot of techs that work at same hematology or chemistry, they, they say, I don't like the smell micro always, it always smells in there. So I'm not going there. So find out what you like. I mean, sometimes you might be proficient in hematology. You might, you might like working with instruments, like in chemistry, doing that kind of work. So if you do the program, give yourself the chance to work in it, rotate around the areas to find out which one you like most. But don't use it because you want it to look good for your med school application. You know, if you want to be a physician assistant, you know, that's one slot that maybe you want to be a doctor and then you get that spot because, you know, you have excellent grades and everything looks good. But then after a year or so, you're gone. And maybe someone that doesn't want to be a physician and this is what they wanted to do. They couldn't get in maybe because the grades were lower than the student that wanted to be a physician. And of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you, you know, we progress and sometimes, you know, we work in the lab and then we decide maybe it's not for us. And we move on, you know, become physicians. Uh, I've seen going to nursing. So, and, and that's fine. Just make sure that there's not, there are not that many slots yearly. So just give yourself the chance to work in it and see what you like. I think that's some great advice. So we haven't reached it yet, but of course you also have a podcast called Let's Talk Microbe. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what inspired you to start it? One of the challenges in my career has always been that I always want to learn more 
And it's always difficult. I mean, we are in, in, in a serious need of mentors. We don't have that many mentors out there. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, it seems, I will guess, somewhat threatening if you want to learn a lot. Maybe it might be seen as, well, if this person wants to learn everything, maybe one day they will try from my job. I mean, I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud. So that's one of the challenges. And sometimes, you know, there's not a lot of, yes, there's enough for where you can, you learn enough to get proficient at your job. But we definitely need to know more. I mean, just like antibiotics, you know, um, intrinsic resistance, you know, stuff like that. We get this request from doctors and sometimes, you know, techs will just perform it when the organism is intrinsically resistant to it. So it's just, you know, you're, you're wasting supplies and that's where, where the need for information comes in. You need to get familiar with all your resources. You know, you have your CLSI with your breakpoints. You know, you have your American Society for Microbiology Guidelines that it tells you, you know, organisms, what do you suspect, you know, based on the source. So there's th that need for information. It's there. It's just, it's not that, you know, we don't all want to be managers or we don't want to be directors. And I'm definitely not a doctor. So it's just, I want the tools to, so I can do my job better. And that way, you know, if I, if I'm well informed, when I get a request like that, it's like, I can talk to the physician and say, Hey, um, you know, sir, we, we, we don't need to perform this request because, you know, this organism is resistant to this antibody. And then we don't waste supplies and time that we could actually be using it to help another patient. So that's where, where the podcast, podcast came in. You know, I'm definitely a teacher in nature. I like to, if, if I know something, I want to teach it to someone else to make sure that they're good at their job too, that they become more proficient. So I decided to make the podcast to bring the information to one place. And also put it in simpler terms while sharing my, my day-to-day experiences in the lab, you know, what media works best, you know, what have I done when I'm out of a particular agar, you know, for an organism. So things like that. And I just, like I said, you know, put it in simpler terms. There's a lot of information out there. And then once you get, you know, you can get very technical, you know, especially when you're talking about things like, you know, like gene sequencing and, and terms like that, you know, it gets you know, definitely very technical. So I just want to put it in, in, in words that a microbiologist and a student, you know, both can actually understand what I'm trying to say and have it there. So the podcast, you know, I'm just going through all the organisms slowly covering testing, uh, what media they grow on. Uh, at the same time, you know, if I see a, an article that is helpful for the lab, you know, I talk to the authors and invite them to come into the podcast so they can talk about it. That way there's that awareness, you know, that maybe there's a new drug out there, you know, there's a new organism, you know, stuff like that. Yes, I think and you, you hit uh, upon another point. It's not just microbiology, but I guess science in general can be very technical and there is a disconnect between the, the professionals and people that are trying to learn about it. It can get very confusing. So it is very important to phrase it in a way for people can understand. And that's a very important service that you're providing to the public. You know, it's like, okay, here's this technique and this is what this means, or this is some new science and this is what it means. Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, you know, of course, you know, like, like I mentioned, you know, there's, there's a lot of information, but sometimes, you know, we're, we're busy with our lives, you know, just like everyone, you know, in the lab, you know, a lot of techs, you know, they're, Sometimes, you know, their moms, you know, that they just, you know, they drop their kids in the morning, either daycare or school. And then once they leave the lab, you know, you have homework, you have all the life stuff. 
So a lot of times, you know, we don't have time to either start looking through journals or, you know, or finding out that stuff. But however, you know, it's very easy where you're either you're working out, you're making dinner, you're doing whatever, you know, you put the podcast on your phone and just list, put it in the background and listen to it. Or if you have a commute, you know, a 20 minute episode, just put it there. Oh, you know, you learn something while you're in a place that you have nowhere to go, like in a car. So it's very nice and convenient. So that's, you know, that's one of the goals. It's just, it's, it's there, they're learning about it. And then if they want to learn more, then of course, you know, you can always take the initiative and then either maybe talk to your, the, your physician that you have or your director or go and look at the resources because I do mention them in my podcast, you know, where I find the articles, what kind of uh, resources I use when I'm talking about the organisms. So I put them out there and these are the same resources that you will find in your lab you know it's like what's why a certain culture has this media and that media and that media it's like well you know it's on the microbiology handbook for the american society for microbiology is listed there and guess what those binders they're in the office somewhere in the lab so it's it's the same information that i'm that it's in your lab that i'm putting up there too so so what has your experience been so far making this podcast? It is time consuming, but it is good. It is relaxing for me for for a lack of, of, of a better word, I guess. You know, it's like it's like therapeutic for me. I sit down and doing the research and at the same time, you know, along the way, encountering all these wonderful people, you know, which have been so great. I mean, so far and, and I have more interviews coming. But a lot of this, you know, physicians and microbiologists, you know, PhDs, they've been great. So they, you know, you send them an email, oh, you know, would you like to come in? And they agree. So it's been amazing. I don't know. Normally, I don't think I will be connecting with this many people. So to be able to talk to microbiologists, let's say from another country or from another part of the, you know, of the country, I had some doctors from the Mayo Clinic. I had another one from Maryland. So connecting with all this people, you know, has been great, you know, finding out what they do in their labs or what kind of research they're coming with as far as with organisms and, and susceptibilities. So it's, like I said, you know, it's time consuming, but it's, it's definitely worth it. I think my favorite aspects about doing our podcast is, yeah, talking to different people and getting to see why they're excited about microbiology. I, I always like to hear the stories behind people. I think that's really cool. And also, like you said, in researching for this podcast, like I, what, a couple of weeks ago, I found that there's a recently uh, categorized bacteria that's two centimeters long and you can see with the naked eye. And that blew my mind. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that on, on someone shared it on, on Twitter. And it's definitely, yeah, one thing that has been there are so many people out there, you know, especially making, taking advantage of social media and they're sharing their knowledge, they're sharing what they're seeing. So it's been great. You know, I found so many resources and from all different parts of the world that you see, uh, you know, everyone sharing their information. So it's, it's definitely good. Yes. Connecting with passionate people. And that's, that's also another thing that that passion is what brought me to teaching and, and also for the podcast, because it is not, not everyone is like that. You know, yes, you know, everyone is, I had the fortune that, you know, like the, the technologies that I work alongside, you know, very proficient, you know, very knowledgeable. So they're excellent at their job. So, you know, have been a great resource for learning and stuff. 
but sometimes you know that passion is not it's not there. I mean, we're all different. You know, sometimes you know some of us they you know they like to do their job and then go home and I don't know. With in my case, it just kind of follows me after work. So I'm I I think about the stuff outside of work and finding people like that as well. You know, has has been great. Only maybe a handful of techs that I met along the way. They are micro nerds like me and. You know, they like to talk about this stuff and this at this level, you know, with technology and social media and connecting with all these people and finding out they're like that. You know, they want to make everyone more proficient at their jobs and sharing their knowledge. So it's it's been great. Yeah. So before we go, uh, I want to ask you, what is your micro moment? Like what inspired you or what did you find out about microbiology that really blew your mind? I think my 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 micro moment has been it's just how this what how these organisms you know how sometimes you know they're so different and how it blew my mind how sometimes you know some grow in a certain media and some don't or or maybe um, um, some type of agar that is not intended for them and they do grow on them so that's how that you know has been very mind blowing as when I got started and as I seen it but at the same time you know it's definitely helped me because. That way you start learning about all this agar and the antibiotics and you can get some organisms. You know, it comes in handy when you're trying to isolate an organism. You know, I had a, a in my career, there was a great time where there was a, you know, a stenotrophomonas that it was very hard to isolate. And, you know, thinking about what I know and what I have learned, I'm like, let's go, you know, I look at the susceptibility pattern because it was growing alongside another organism. And I look at the other organism and then I said, well, let's go ahead and put a meropenem disc because the other organism is susceptible, but steno is intrinsically resistant. So that was done. And then you could see like the inhibition from the first organism, but then growing close to the disc, there it was, that steno. So we managed to get it out and then, you know, do susceptibilities. And that was a great day. Basically, it's that the other organism was growing so large, the steno was underneath it. So, and then the problem with gram-negative rods, especially either like non-fermenters or, or enterobacterialis, they both grow in blood. Most of them grow in McConkey. Um, they will grow in chocolate. So every time you grab that organism, you know, it's not like maybe you have, let's say that you're trying to isolate a Staph aureus or use a PEA or two gram-negative rods and you put them on a McConkey. So both of them will grow. So when we're trying to sub it out, you know, isolate that second organism, the first one kept growing, you know, and as we know, Stenotrophomonas is a very significant organism, you know, the level of intrinsic resistance is very high, plus it lacks the hospital equipment, you know, it's big in nosocomial infections. So it's a very serious bug. You want to make sure that if you have that organism, you need to isolate it and you need to do susceptibilities to make sure it's not multi-drug resistant. Right. Yeah, so that, that's definitely one that you don't want to be, I mean, you don't want any of them to be multi-drug resistant, but with this one, the choices are very limited. So you have to make sure that you isolate it. So then based on that, if you know what the intrinsic resistance is, then you can go ahead and compare that susceptibility to the other organism and then use that antibiotic. Because of course, if the first one is susceptible to that particular drug, then you will manage to get a little bit of isolation for that second book. Yeah, that's a really that's really smart. It's a really cool way to figure out that problem. And that's also another thing. As I've been working on this podcast, you know, and and doing more research, and of course, you know, because I have to prepare for 
even if you have the knowledge, you know, it's not the same as having it in your head as putting it on a 20 minute episode. You want to make sure that you what you put out there is accurate. So you have to read textbooks and make sure that everything is worded correctly. So you don't put any false information out there. So while I've been doing this, you know, it definitely has helped increase my knowledge. And but yeah, that kind of thinking, you know, it should be around more because sometimes, you know, we can fall into the routine of, you know, we're or we cannot isolate it. So we we try two or three times. You know, and in microbiology, everything is about time. You know, you already use subculture and organism. It's gonna take you 18, 24 hours. So that's a day right there. So and then if you don't get it, you try again, that's two days. So this having that type of of thinking, it's definitely very helpful. And that's also one thing that I'm trying to achieve with the podcast. You know, put all my little quote unquote tricks out there. And it's just, you know, nothing special, just things that I have noticed over the years. Yeah, time is very important, especially in the hospital. If someone's sick, you need to make sure that they're getting the proper treatment before they go septic or if they go septic in order to treat the infection before, you know, it's too late. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah, because, you know, let's say that they get put on some sort of, you know, broad spectrum antibiotic, you know, and they can be like nephrotoxic or... And then three days in, you find out that the organism are resistant, so they have to change the drug again. And all these factors, you know, they, they um, contribute to the antimicrobial resistance. And at the same time, you know, the most important thing that it's just like the time is running for the patient. So you want to make sure that as soon as possible, you put that patient on the right drug so that organism can be properly treated. Well, thank you for coming on, Lewis. Where can people find you? I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe. And then I'm on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro One. And the link to my podcast is in both Twitter and Instagram. You know, you can just type Let's Talk Micro. And I am on all the platforms. So there's no mistake in it. You know, there's a little picture of the bacteria talking to each other. You know, the cocci and the gram negative rods. Consistently, I do release episodes every Thursday night. If I can, I'm not able to actually release one, I'll let the audience know ahead of time that I'm taking a break. I'm pretty much every Thursday. Well, I can't wait to hear your next episode. And thank you again. Hey, thank you for having me. You know, it's, it's a great experience. When I started working on this, I remember searching for microbiology podcasts and I saw yours and I started listening to some episodes and I saw that your podcast has quite the um, on social media. You see everyone even it has even been voted as one of the best podcasts. You know, it's amazing that, you know, you have given me the opportunity to actually be talking in here. I mean, I, I didn't think this will happen, but it's been great. And I just want to say something real quick because it's always good for a disclaimer sort of thing, you know, but, and I said this before, but, you know, like UCF or Advent Health, you know, they have no affiliation with me. You know, they are my employers. Uh, yes, but they don't, they have nothing to do with this podcast. So I always like to say that. So everyone is aware of this. Yeah, it's always important to put those little disclaimers in there, especially like if we, if we do something a little medical heavy, you know, I always try to say, you know, like always check with your doctor. Don't go exactly with what we're saying. But I really enjoyed having you on this. And, you know, you have you have great stuff in your episode. And I think people really should go check it out. To the audience out there, yeah, go ahead and, and check it out. I say on the podcast, if you have any suggestions, anything that, you know, a particular topic, you can always suggest it. And I will keep it in consideration when I'm working on episodes. But yeah, definitely check it out every day, you know, staying consistent. And I appreciate the support of all the listeners out there that take the time to download an episode. So. 
If you listen to it, just let another coworker, if you're a student going through the program, you know, it's a great resource. That way, if you need to reinforce something, I mean, sometimes, you know, we look at procedures, we read manuals and it doesn't make sense until someone talks about them. And you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's what this means. You know, it happens all the time. So it's a great tool to keep it in hand when you are reading that book. And maybe you have a question about the test, you know, and then there it is on the episode with the reactions and how it goes. So you can start getting that visual of, you know, about how that test works or how that organism behaves or what media it grows on, all that stuff. Indeed. Thank you again, Louis. All right. Thank you so much. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interview. Um, I definitely enjoyed being on the micro moment with the Microbials podcast. It was a privilege, actually. You know, they're a very popular podcast. And the fact that I got to collaborate with them is pretty cool. So once again, thank you, John and Tess, for having me on. And if you want to check out their podcast, go ahead and do so. They're on all the podcast platforms. So just search The Micro Moment with The Microbi Gals. And they are actually also on Twitter and they're on, you know, on Instagram. So go ahead and check them out. As always, continue bringing passion to what you do. Stay motivated. Stay safe. And of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.